Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On The Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. Zim Zimmer, we're going to talk about Ben Zimmer and why he was the unanimous choice for the Ballon d'Or. Also, did Dortmund fall for the old, you can't touch me, I'm part of the union, when they played Berlin, who was surprisingly four points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. And we're going blanc again in our search for the coach who scrubs up best for a job interview. But we should really start with this question from Ed on Twitter. That's a great question. Which managers in Europe are currently hiding under a desk? Lodge? You know what? He won the local derby at the weekend, but if I was Massimiliano Allegri, I'd be straight back under the desk. Because they are a <laughs> wretched team still. They weren't that much better here, even though they beat a not very good Torino team 1-0. But, but we're really, if I'd overseen some of the performances Juventus have put in this fall, I would the de- under the desk would would be my home. I, I'd get the the kettle in there and the food and blankets and everything. You just never leave. Is it of the sort of height that you might actually hide behind a coat stand or something uh, like that? Could could, could there's, be. There's, there's got to be. be alternative approaches to 
to Ed's question. Since Ed has asked this question, it has now been on OTC. Is you know that's the first place the president's going to look under the desk. That's true. It? That's true. But it's just and that makes this the thing with Dagnelli makes it worse because he's been flying around trying to change football because the model is broken and just the kids are watching Fortnite on Twitch instead. <laughs> and, and all the while, his the team he's meant to be president of is serving up this garbage. I don't blame the kids for watching Fortnite instead of Juventus right now. It's terrible. I'd but, rather watch Fortnite. I don't even like games. <laughs> I kept watching the, the, hey, the yeah. teacher, leave the kids alone. <laughs> yeah, leave Fortnite alone as well. Yeah. Um, Is so that even a Allegri. thing anymore? Only Allegri, anybody else? Uh, no, not only Allegri. I would say, uh, Ed, anyone in France, because four <laughs> coaches have been fired there in the last week. So watch your back. Funnily enough, following on from what we were talking about with David last week, I still think... Diego Simeone is one to watch. I, I think. I think. But would he ever hide under a desk, exactly. though? No, no, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. We'd He'd been throw here it before at you. with Diego Simeone. He, you know, should have perhaps got the boot earlier on, but uh, he still I, seems I to think, be the great survivor. Yeah, and when we talk about Allegri and the financial difficulties of firing him, that's one thing. It's a different level entirely with Simeone because of how much he earns. The best paid coach in the world, as we've said before. I just think this Joao Felix thing is unsustainable. And again, after their Wednesday night draw with uh, um, Rayo Vallecano, they're left complaining about the referee. I mean, it's like, come on, you didn't beat Rayo at home. And you complained about the referee. And wouldn't it be interesting if it was a Falcao equaliser right at the death that put them in this tricky of spots? Do you mind just reminding us about the Jao Felix controversy? He doesn't want to play him for whatever reason. Yeah, he just says he's not up to it at the moment. And Xiao Felix is supposed to be the one of the best younger players in Europe. Why, yeah. why on earth wouldn't he play him? I, I, well, I, th- I think that's the question. When they're trying to finish games or trying to chase games, or maybe they should be trying to chase results in games, and they're, they're, not, they're not bringing him on. He says he's just the least in form of his strikers at the moment. But I think if you go back... Do you believe that? Well, I think if you go back to the very start of the season... And you look at how Morata and Jao Felix were together. Mm. That is not a long time ago. So Simeone's got to look at himself. And in fairness to him, he's often done that in the past, looked at himself. I suppose the big news from Europe was Benzema uh, getting the Ballon d'Or, or Ballon d'Or, if you prefer, like Dior, like the perfume. But he was representing... <laughs> he was representing... Um, it was amazing, actually, to see the whole thing with Ronaldo being there and also Zinedine Zidane. Um, once Zinedine Zidane came on stage, you knew that it was going to be Benzema's year, didn't you? Because it, the it other felt... contenders, you know, De Bruyne and Mane didn't have the Zinedine Zidane connection. But we knew anyway. I mean, I would say even at the pomp of Ronaldo and Messi, and obviously they're, you know, it's one of the great opinion splitters of modern football, and it's something that people have discussed needlessly, incessantly over the last 10 years mm. or, or, or so. Um, it's, it's not often been clear cut between Ronaldo and Messi when they've been at their actual peak. I can't really think off the top of my head of another year in recent times where the Ballon d'Or winner has been such a shoe in And you had that atmosphere, you had that feeling. And like you say, all the key parts of his footballing life were there. So you had Zidane next to him, who they had a frosty relationship at first and they grew close. And then you had Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, who he modelled himself on very self-consciously. I mean, I love that video where um, he meets Ronaldo R9 for the first time at the Bernabeu, about a month after he signed for Real Madrid. He meets him on the pitch at the Bernabeu. And he's like, 
giggling like a, a teenager trying to pluck up the courage to speak to a a, a, a potential partner that he likes you know yeah, it's yeah. it's it's, right. it's it's amazing yeah. and um you, you have those two and then you have Jean-Michel Olas the president who started it all at, at, at Lyon who obviously made the most of every photo opportunity that was available on the night why not you had Florentino Perez who prolonged his career at Real Madrid when other presidents would have dumped him and I don't think that's he resisted a lot of public pressure so when Benzema came out with that line in his speech about he's like a member of my family Mm. there's no cliche there he actually meant it and then you have Benzema's actual family. I mean, when he came up on stage, he was just so raucously greeted and mm, the crowd were going, Karim, Karim, Karim. And it, it, it just felt like a, it just felt like a, He's one a, of house, us. a house party or a yeah. comedy roast or something like that. You know, that it was an evening to celebrate this guy. It was, this is your life for him. And so everyone knew what was going to happen. And it felt like a genuine outpouring of joy. And this guy deserves this. Lars, mm. uh, even though Andy says he was a shoo-in mm. for uh, the Ballon d'Or. Was he, for you, the best footballer in Europe over the last 12 months? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I'm, I'm generally, like, being a boring old man, not a huge fan of individual awards in team sports anyway. I think... Uh, oh, and I th- come to the right place. And then. I think Benzema is an interesting example of that because this is a guy who spent what is typically the prime years of a footballer's career uh, facilitating someone else. He spent the best years of his career in terms of the age curve uh, making sure Cristiano Ronaldo got the best service he could and dragging players out of position for him to come in and make finishes and stuff. And during those years, Cristiano Ronaldo got all the awards and then Ronaldo moves on. Benzema actually gets to be the main man and lo and behold, he does actually absolutely brilliantly and now he, he gets the award. And I think that kind of shows you a little bit about how... You know how individual awards in a team sport is a little bit itchy because these are a team is a, is like a chain where people kind of rely on each other a little bit and and we tend to reward people who do the most visible things, which is to put the ball into the goal, not goalkeepers, basically. No, exactly. Well, but Thibaut Courtois but, but it, is fine about it, so it's fine. yeah. But 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 if we're gonna have these awards and we're gonna care as much about them as some people do then yes, it's terrific that he got it for being uh, the best player in the world this year, but also as a kind of a lifetime achievement thing, you know, with the career he's had, it would be a shame if he he never won it. Uh, So so I think that's all fine. I I, I thought about it this week. One of my favourite descriptions of Oh Kareem Benzema uh, it came from an unlikely source, and it was initially meant as a diss. And I do apologise if I've brought it up on this pod before, but I think Mourinho just absolutely nailed it when he once said about Benzema, if I can't hunt with a dog, I will hunt with a cat. With a dog, you hunt more and you hunt better. But if you have not got a dog and you have a cat, you hunt with a cat. Which is, <laughs> which was Mourinho's way of basically saying, what can I do? I have this Benzema guy. He's no good. You know, I, I need a dog. You know, Mourinho likes people, dogs run around. And, ah. um, but I actually think that's inadvertently identifying that there's something feline about Benzema is tremendous because I, I think there is something very cat-like about him as a player. He isn't someone who'll barge around uh, and expend energy needlessly like a dog frequently will. Uh, he's very calculated in his movements. He's very smooth. Uh, he, he doesn't burn off excess energy. He's very composed when the opportunity to strike presents itself, very precise in his movements. And uh, and a footballer who I think if dropped from a great height would probably land on his feet somehow. So that's also, you know, I... I, 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 I think that's very good by Mourinho, even if it was completely unintentional. And and 
absolutely a guy who deserves to be be credited for what he's done on the pitch the last few years. 27 goals in 32 games. Yep. It wasn't like that. He wasn't as prolific as that, as Lars says. Because it wasn't whilst, his job. <laughs> whilst Cristiano Ronaldo was at th- Real Madrid. I, th- I think that's it. It's it's all about understanding hierarchy uh, at Real Madrid. And and that was why it was hard for him at first, because he, he was the star at Lyon, even when he was a teenager, even when he was a kid. Um, he was front and centre, and he was a um, local boy as well. Yeah, he a, comes from yeah. got a goal scorer as as well. Always a really a terrific finisher. But he comes from the banlieue of Lyon, doesn't he? Like a lot. Yeah, of he does. Do. He comes He's... from Bron out, out out by the out by the airport. Yeah, yeah. and I think when you look at some of the stuff in his past, and you know, you, you can't turn a blind eye to that. You know that 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 exists. You know his his past brought him to to where he is now. Well, the bad boy. Past. Yeah, and I, I think he's he's a very good example of you can get as rich as you like, but actually leaving behind who you are and where you're from is yeah, is, is, is impossible. <laughs> yeah. Really, really. It's hard. It's hard. And he's been dragged into some situations that he shouldn't have been mm-hmm. dragged into. Not not to absolve him of, of, of responsibility in those those situations. Um, you can't but, entirely cut your ties with the hood because the hood just follows you, doesn't it? No, exa- exactly, exactly. And um, you know, bear in mind, he, he lived at home until he joined Real Madrid for forty million. You know, it's, it's, it was a really, really steep climb for him because he, he couldn't speak Spanish, never lived away from home, didn't have particularly great social skills out of um, out, out of the area that he was used to. So it's it's, it's taken him a time to get there, but I, I think. You know, you can see the work that he's he's put in as as well, and I think that's why people appreciate him so much. I think, um, you know, you look at the player that he's needed to become post Ronaldo, and that's really why he's supplanted Giroud in 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 the national team because he can do the Giroud stuff because he's big and muscly and brilliant in the air now, as well as doing all the old Benzema stuff that made him so. Yeah, popular with Cristiano Ronaldo. There's also a wee bit of diplomacy that had to happen for that to that that to become a thing, right? Uh, him coming back to the France team. Uh, but I, I, I did enjoy actually during the Ballon d'Or ceremony the the little uh, focuses on uh, Didier Deschamps face. And, and, and Didier sitting there thinking, "Don't move a muscle. Don't do a Samuel L. Jackson." <laughs> he didn't look a hundred percent happy um, at he all. Didn't know. <laughs> but, but but it is worth noting. You you point out the player he has become, and that's also true. I mean, uh, to critique my own line of reasoning, it's it's not as if. You booted, well, booted Ronaldo left, and immediately Benzema became the star. Right, there was one season in particular where it wasn't quite. He wasn't no. really picking up the slack, and he has matured. Well, it was as, meant to be Bale originally, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was yeah, and uh, but he has matured very well, and and become <laughs> become a much more clinical striker, and he's. It's I'm impressed with how calm he always stays. Right, there's uh, which is. Something that you don't often like. It's often a quite a chaotic place for Real Madrid, and he seems quite uneffaced by a lot of stuff that goes on. And that, and again, you see it on the field. You know, he's he's always he never rushes his decisions, and yeah. and his finishing is often good because he often takes the extra split second to sort of compose himself and to see where the ball needs to go. You know, there, there's a calmness to him, which I think is, I is think, a very valuable I, skill. I think Larsh is so perceptive about this guy because he's still got a little bit of the false nine about him you know he's yeah. moving mm. all over the areas oh, even though his main job now is to score goals and I imagine I'd imagine Andy that part of his um success or at least 
his status now has been enhanced by the fact that Real Madrid's great nemesis, Barcelona, are doing so poorly. And as long as he can get a goal against Barcelona, which he did the other day, um, when, when Real Madrid beat Barcelona, as long as he can keep Barcelona at bay, his status just increases. Yeah, and I think that that is a huge part of it. The fact that at the moment they've got a lot of bling and they're trying to get themselves in the in, in the right place. But Benzema is, well, obviously the king of bling, but totally reliable, as Lars was saying. It's interesting. He'd not scored since the end of August. Now, part of that because he was because he was out through injury. So it's not just um, a, a case we'd been on a long drought. But, you know, it was clear when we talked about them being at Shakhtar last week and holding a little bit back because they knew El Clasico was coming. They let it all go in the first half of the Bernabeu. They, they really let Barcelona have it, but not with a kind of onslaught. You know, they let Barcelona come onto them and then just pick them off with absolute ruthlessness, with real poise, showing them what an established team actually is. Now, I know Juan Laporta, the president of Barcelona, was down in the referee's changing room complaining to him afterwards, but it's like, come on, man, have a bit of shame. He didn't make you spend that money in the summer, did he? <laughs> That's a good point. It's a very good point. You know, you're looking at Barcelona here, Lars, and you're thinking, where can they go to from here? It's bad enough uh, being beaten by Real Madrid, but being humiliated every time. They're off the pace in terms of where they should be. Where do they go? Well, it raises an interesting sort of question about where they should be and where this team is, which you have to see in the context of this sort of uh, the summer of levers that we've just had. Mm. Uh, I was thinking more in the context of their recent history. Yeah, but no, but that's interesting because last season, last season was a disaster for Barcelona. It was so bad. You know, you had Ronald Koeman, the disgrace. You had uh, Luke de Jong, you know, it was all, it was all terrible. W- what was the end? The end result of, of this season was that they finished second. And they got knocked out in the group stage of the Champions League. Now, they've pulled all these levers. They've mortgaged bits of the club's future in this way and the other. They bought Robert Lewandowski. They bought all these guys. If they don't win La Liga, I mean, they're, they're almost certain to go out in the group stage. And, uh, you know, the, the bookmakers will have them as second favorites to win La Liga now, I think it's fair to say. You've you've pulled all these levers and spent all this money for what? Like, what have you improved? Yeah, actually, it's, it's a ruinous week. And actually, you know, talk about like the relation, the direct relation between Real Madrid and Barcelona in these games. Of course, like Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid have the, the domestic dominance, and they won the league very comfortably last season. But bear in mind, this fixture last season, if you go back six months. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was having a lovely time scoring a couple of times at the Bernabeu and they won 4-0. So I think part of that as well, we understand that there's a difference between where the two clubs and where the two teams are at the moment. But from Real Madrid's perspective, coming back and winning this and saying to Barcelona, actually, you, you can't do that at our place, even if we do have the upper hand over you generally. I feel that was quite an important theme in this game as well. And I'm being slightly flippant and disingenuous by because I'm not suggesting they're in the same place as they were last year. They're clearly a better football team, right? Yeah. And the Champions League stuff, you know, tough draw. You, you get Barcelona, you get Inter and Bayern Munich in your group and you're very unlucky in the first away game to Inter and then suddenly you're in a tight spot in the group. You know, it can happen. My point is more, the reason they did all this stuff this summer that some people think is actually genius and others think is very irresponsible 
is that we just cannot have a phase of our club's history where we're not the show, when we're not the big thing. Mm. You know, we have to spend our way to the top immediately because we can't risk potentially falling away. But there's a flip side to that, which is, you know what, you can finish second a year or two if, if, if what you're doing is actually, you know, giving guys like Pedri and Gavi and, and Fatih time to, to become like the new generation of this team. You, you didn't have to spend this crazy amount of money because you're terrified of not winning the league one year. You know, mm. you, you could have actually just taken some time and built the team again. And that might have been a more responsible thing to do. Time is what they don't have, though, when you're on that level of uh, uh, football dominance or once upon a time you were. Absolutely. But I'm just sort of, again, looking at the, the team this weekend and looking at some of the failings of that team. It's really weird having a situation where you've brought in like like Kessie, who was the sort of all action, you know, beating heart of a Scudetto winning uh, Milan team, and and you have Frankie De Jong there, who's extraordinary at what he he does, and they're kind of sat on the bench looking at, uh, well, well, Kessie anyway was sat on the bench looking at sort of mm. old man Busquets looking kind of slow in, in midfield, and Kessie must be wondering what what why am I here? Like what they brought me in for? And it, it, it does seem as if the Classico though was a game of two halves. On the one hand, what you say is correct. You know, if you're a football team and you're rebuilding, coming second ain't no, you know, bad uh, result. However, when it comes to El Clasico, before the El Clasico, uh, one of the players was saying, was it Busquets who was saying, don't worry, we're all up for the Clasico. That's the, like, as if that's the biggie coming mm. up in a few days. But then- the, th- the thing is, that is no way the way the club is feeling because they've got financial gaps to fill. And, mm. you know, going into, I mean, I, I think playing for Barcelona at the moment, you know that you're playing for the shirt, for more than a club, etc. You're playing for, like, keeping yourself afloat. Financially. Financially, yeah, yeah. You, you are. There's no getting away from that. And I can't can't believe that you can be completely immune to the, the heaviness of the atmosphere after pushing yourself to the brink of Champions League elimination, which, you know, as, as we said last week, is possibly going to lose probably going to lose them tens of millions of euros oh undoubtedly which, which they absolutely cannot afford and which could inextricably change the, the route of where this club goes in the next year or so I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's take a look at the Bundesliga, where there's a lot of action going on, perhaps surprising in many ways. Xavi, Xavi Alonso is in the thick of it there. He's the relatively new Leverkusen coach, and it's perhaps not panning out in the way a, that you'd hope. A shabby performance at the weekend, wouldn't you say, Andy? <laughs> shabby rather than yes. shabby performance. Listen, I'd go for low-hanging fruit sometimes very juicy. <laughs> you, you enjoyed it. Go on, munch away your low-hanging fruit. Nom, 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 nom. It's an easy one. I'll put it on the shabby. Some would say the guy has been in charge for a fortnight. This is harsh that he should have to put up with uh, these sort of puns. But uh, if he's going to blame anyone, I guess blame the team. Yeah, and yeah. Don't blame me. That's the best way. And they're they're they're, they're blaming themselves at, at, at the moment. I I wonder, and only time will tell. Because he started off well. The first match they won four 0 That was against Schalke. Against Schalke. It doesn't, really it doesn't matter. Of course, uh, it, 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 it it definitely does okay. matter against Schal- okay. Schalke, okay. Uh, who incidentally fired their coach Frank Kramer this week, which means once they employ a new coach, unless him and uh, Dimitrios Gramozis get jobs very quickly, they will be paying three coaches. And they're a club that definitely cannot afford to to do that. By by the way, so that's that's the the Schalke yardstick for for where they are at the moment. Um, Xabi Alonso is uh, it feels to me quite an idealistic appointment, and in so many ways, it would be the perfect place for him to grow Leverkusen because as as I wrote about in my Guardian column this week, it's a place where it's it's a Champions League club. You've got a great playing squad. Um, if he wants to touch up that squad and improve it a little bit in January, I'm sure they give him the money to to do it. You don't have the same sort of pressure that you would have at actually a Schalke or a Borussia Mönchengladbach or a Dortmund or any of those sort of clubs who might be considered of being a, a similar level. So really, he should just be able to get on with it, impart his philosophy and you know work out how to work at the top level. But of course, a bit like Steven Gerrard and the whole you know, inevitable ascension to the Liverpool job that everyone's been talking about from the minute he signed for Aston Villa. Everyone started bringing up the possibility of Xabi Alonso going to Bayern Munich at some point because he he played for them, because they like his philosophy, because they love him as a guy, because Karl-Heinz Rummenigge said, if we go back to 2020, yeah, he's definitely someone who would be of interest to to Bayern as a, as a coach. With that point. logic, Steven Gerrard ought to be a bit careful because remember Xabi Alonso played for Liverpool as well yeah exactly and I think it's an interesting comparison the, the thing is Xabi Alonso the I, the job in theory and the job in practice are two different things as we found out pretty quickly now look they, they got belted by Porto in the Champions League that can happen mm. you could argue they're a little bit unlucky they got picked off by a side who are a little bit more canny at Champions League level and have been in the Champions League more than them over the last couple of years under 
a very experienced and very good coach, one of the best in Sergio Concisao. And then you come to this game at Eintracht Frankfurt the last week where they lose 5-1 and Leverkusen were flattered by that 5-1 defeat. They were so bad, so bad. And afterwards you think, okay, they're third from bottom of the table, got eight points from 10 games. I mean, this, this could genuinely be a relegation battle. And then is he kitted out for that? Two penalties they gave away. Two penalties um, for a team that's struggling. What's going on in their defence? Can you explain? Because I would have thought, Andy, that that's where the, the, the weakest uh, part of their game is in the defence. Well, it was in this particular game. Mm. I mean, you look at Piero Hincapié, the um, very promising Ecuadorian centre-back, who scored a very undeserved equaliser with a diving header. And then in the space of, I think I worked it out as 11 minutes and 52 seconds, managed to give away three goals and get himself sent off. I, I mean, and there are so many players, Lars, at Leverkusen. You look at the squad, it's good. There are so many players. I guess Patrick Schick is the one who's coming in for the most stick at the moment, who are performing so below their level. And that makes it an enormous challenge for Alonso. It, it does. And I think Leverkusen have almost a miniature issue of the the things we often talk about Dortmund is that they're a team who very frequently sign players who are a bit on the young side with a view to developing them, realizing that they'll probably move on when the time comes. I mean, that that is very much their model. But, but, but an offshot of that is that when things are not going well, you're maybe a little bit short on like big characters who like uh, stick their foot uh, on it and in the opponent and do, do what needs doing to just uh, stop the bleeding, so to speak. And and they have uh, th- there are a few clubs in Europe where you will have as strong a team on paper and relatively kind levels of pressure on you to get results immediately and all the time as you you get in Leverkusen. They're a club who who will give you time. Uh, I, I well, give... what's he got to do though to turn it around? Forgive me for that, but that seems to be the salient question here. What's uh, Jabi Alonso? got to do to turn things around and can he will he well i i, th- I think i think he he could um but I, I think if it goes really badly you know it could be it could be very very damaging to him you know because i i, th- I think it's difficult to his to, prospects beyond leverkusen you mean yeah i I, th- I think it's i think it's difficult to 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 walk away from this like completely unscathed they're high enough profile for it to to stick with him if it goes terribly now no one's necessarily suggesting that's the deal yet but I think for an inexperienced coach and obviously he's done good work at Real Sociedad B etc etc this is a different level to be able to come in as a new young coach who's doing his first top level job and say to Patrick Schick this isn't good enough to say to Musa Diaby this isn't good enough to say to Kerem Demabai this isn't good enough I just wonder what might work in their favour. It's because this was such a humiliation at Eintracht Frankfurt. We were very good on their day. Yeah, you have to say that. They are very, very good on their day. Um, the, this could be some sort of enough is enough sort of point. Because you heard the players talking afterwards. Like Robert Andrich said, well, look, the coach may have changed, but the players haven't. And that's the problem. And Karen Demovai said, we've got to be honest, we're, we're in really deep shit here. And I think that sort of... It's almost more on the players than it is on 
Alonso. I mean, not not to say that you can blame him for any of this yet. Of course you can't. But in terms of him having to pull this around, he really needs the players' help, I think. Also, in terms of what needs changing, I mean, they have there's only three teams in the Bundesliga who have conceded a higher number as sort of XG against number so far this season, uh, which is sort of, you know, the shots against but weighted, well, chances against but weighted for how big the chance is. Uh, and it's only Bochum, Augsburg and the aforementioned Schalke who have been worse defensively, according to the XG numbers, than Leverkusen, which, which tells you a pretty simple story about what needs to change. And when you add to the fact that they've got uh, Lukas Radecki, who is a, a fun character in goal and on his day a very good shot stopper, but who is quite error prone. He's having a bad season. Yeah, yeah. on top of that, uh, I, I don't like to speak ill of him because he seems like a really nice guy. Uh, big bear. He's not dead, is he? No, but he's a, he's a bit. <laughs> Absolutely not. He's he's a good shot stopper. Uh, he's a bear enthusiast. You know, a lot of things to like. But yeah, he is a bit gaff prone, and he's made a few of them this season. When you have that behind a, a leaky leaky defense. You know, Xavi Alonso might have a lot of good theories and a football philosophy and the things he wants to do, but they, they need to sort out the defence first and foremost, which for a, for a rookie coach is not an easy job. You've already mentioned Dortmund, um, Lars, and mm. I think we should really just move on to that because Jonathan on Twitter, and by the way, just a reminder that you can tweet us any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Lars Severston. Uh, Jonathan on Twitter asks, what on earth is going on at Dortmund? Do you mind reminding us? Dortmund, weren't they Champions League contenders once upon a time? Well, uh, <laughs> they got they lost 2-0 to Neon Berlin. And Dortmund losing... Who were they? To, uh, yeah, exactly. To the top of the league, Neon. And uh, Dortmund being Dortmund, this was very much a self-inflicted wound with the goalkeeper, Gregor Kobel, making a terrible mistake uh, for one of the goals. And they're just a little bit disappointing, Dortmund, aren't they? And I think there's there are big picture issues here. There are small yeah. picture issues as well. But I feel like we've had this conversation before, but their model is so much about, you know, buying young players, developing them, and, and selling them on frequently to England. And did that with Aling Holland, did that with Jaden Sancho, did that with Gio Reyna. Well, not with Gio Reyna yet. I mean, he can't stay healthy enough for that to happen. But they did it with Pulisic before that. And on and on and on it goes. And and I, the, the common criticism of Dortmund is that they need to stop doing that and just focus on building a team. Now, I, I would say that there is logic in, in, in using the way the transfer market works to raise money because financially Dortmund will always find it very difficult to compete with Bayern Munich. So if the plan is let's develop these kids, let's sell them on at a big profit and use the money to A, find the next good kids, but also B, use the money to put together a squad that could feasibly uh, compete with Bayern. I think that is a sound strategy. But they're getting they're getting the kids' side of it right, but maybe not so much the other side of it. There are so many guys in the squad who are players who on their day are, are, are very good, but who are not doing it consistently for them. I think that's the thing. The experienced players are the issue. I think Mats Hummels has clearly changed the way he's gone about things this season, which has been a positive thing for them. And the, the latest out of the club seems to be that Hummels and Marco Royce, who is just coming back from injury again, and um, they're both coming to the end of their contracts, they'll, they'll probably get a year extra on reduced wages. Mm. And, and that is that is the way they're likely to go. But Emre Jan was hugely expensive and hugely well-paid. 
Um, and these experienced players have, have not been doing it for them in, in recent years. But I, also I guys like Brandt and Dorgan Hazard and these dudes who have like five games a year when they look really good yeah. and then they have 15 where they're just, eh. uh, that's that's a little bit harsh on my side. But these guys who... And, and, I and think I, it's unfair. Yeah, no. and I, I get a little bit frustrated with the idea that they can't compete with the finances of Bayern, you know, they're always trying to overtake Bayern and feed up with Bayern. But but the thing is, they're in terms of finances, they're the second wealthiest team in the league, right? They're, they're yeah, Union are a case in point. Like proportionally, um, they have a bigger advantage over Union than Bayern have over them. Exactly. You, you know, that's that's the way to look at it. Mm. And and Union, we'll come to in a second, Don. I mean, they're a really good example of of great management. But it, it feels like there is. It feels like there's something genuinely rotten in Dortmund at the moment. Not that they're doing the same thing as they've done all those other seasons. But I think in terms of the wage bill, in terms of where they are financially, which is not a good place at all. Even though they're selling all their players? Well, they haven't recently. Uh, they haven't successively. And uh, of course, well, they sold... Because, well, because the release clause, they for, didn't for, actually for get below, that much for him. For far below yeah, market yeah, value. Yeah. How? Why? Because the release They wouldn't clause. have got him in the first place. Yeah, they've 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 got an, they've got a number of issues. It feels to me as if a big big change is coming at Dortmund because the team um, has no real personality. I don't think it's brilliantly coached, even though Edin Terzic is very well liked at the club and is valuable to them in a, a lot of ways. He's infuriated by it, but he's he's powerless. And again, you go back to the comparison with Union, a team that. It's still relatively green in top division terms, but not only is top of the league, but a team that knows itself, where everyone knows their job. Mm. Dortmund are not that. They are not that with, on paper, far superior players. It's not rocket science, is it? And we should go on to Union uh, now, but it's not rocket science. This is what their wing-back, Julian Ryerson, or I suppose no, it's Norwegian. Norwegian. Is it Julian. Yeah. Julian, okay. Julian Ryerson. Okay. Julian Ryerson, thank you for it's that. It's from Egerson, I think. <laughs> No, from Lingdal. Oh my God, I should have known that. He's from Lingdal. <laughs> but there's hardly anyone from Lingdal. Yeah, write and complain to me. I've I, been to Lingdal many I, times. I should have known that this was it's a very famous youth tournament Scandinavian in, in Lingdal. Territory Lingdal right anyway, Julian Ryerson, uh, who is Union Berlin's uh, wingback, says he stated to explain their success, which has, you know, interested people all across the footballing landscape of Germany at their top of the league. He says their success is down to this. We're sticking to what we've always done. It's what we're good at. Sticking to the plan, playing with courage. Our defensive organisation has been top and the counter-attack situations we've used really well this year and we did it again uh, today. This was after their last uh, latest victory. Um, Now, I'm looking at that and thinking... That is simple economics, isn't it? Even you, quoting Mr. McCorber mm. once upon a time, will, uh, well, kind of, quoting Mr. McCorber, will agree. You know, it's it's, it's not rocket science. No, so, to do it. so this takes me back to a couple of seasons ago uh, when, when Wolfsburg unexpectedly finished fourth uh, under Oliver Glasner. And, and I came, kept making the same joke about them, which they weren't the fourth best team in the league. But, uh, you, know, in, uh, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, as they say. This and, is good. And, and, this and, is good. This and, is what and, I like. In, the, in, the, in the land of the Bundesliga, a team yeah. that can defend a bit will probably do quite well. Because <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy the I Bundesliga. Like I get very cross at people who talk about the Bundesliga tax or whatever. Like, there's always people who never watch the league who say that. They don't there's know goals in it. About. But it is also true there are quite a lot of teams in this league who do a lot of goofy stuff at the back. You know, yeah. I, I wonder if it's p- because 
well, obviously it's the, the, the country of gegenpressing. I, I wonder if because there's a stronger link between the fans and the, and the, and the clubs than in many other leagues, that the, the clubs feel a stronger responsibility to entertain. I wonder if it's partially because everyone knows Bayern are going to win it at the end of the day anyway. So the most important thing is that you give your fans a good show every week and everything, nothing else really matters. But for whatever reason, there are a lot of very attack-minded teams in the Bundesliga and you rarely see teams in this division like really wow you with how solid they are off the ball and and watching even more Bundesliga than usual the last few years because of Alling Holland there were a lot of times I find myself just shouting like where are you going at the screen like when defenders <laughs> just run off and just the fullback is going yeah Union Berlin are the opposite of that. Union Berlin are really, really well organized and they don't mind not having the ball. They have no notions of pressing high up the pitch. They, they hardly ever do that. Uh, they have the least amount of possession in the league uh, on average. And I th- they're one of the teams that win the most headers in the league. I mean, there's a, they're very clear on what they do on the pitch. They're really organized without the ball in the league where not many teams are that. And they've been quite uh, efficient going forward, put it that way. I mean, well, if, yeah, I mean, that, they, they recruit well. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're very well managed um, from top to bottom. A Norwegian wingback from Lingdal. <laughs> exactly. They're, they've they've got a great coach in Urs Fischer, who's very successful in Switzerland. Before um, got them promoted and then helped them stabilise. So that sense of they're always doing the same thing, as as Rioson was saying, I think is important. I think what's given them the extra edge this season is. Funnily enough, if you go back to them losing Max Cruiser halfway through last season, which seemed really bad at the time, uh, Tyroy Awani managed to keep them going through the second half of the season, got them into Europe before leaving for Nottingham Forest. But you look at the partnership they have now between Geraldo Becker, who's really quick and is in a rich vein of form, and pairing him with uh, Jordan Sibachur, the, the, the US international, they're such a complementary strike partnership. They get up the pitch so quickly. That has really, really helped them out. Now, obviously, they got a bit of a gift in 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 this game with the the Gregor Kobel mm-hmm. moment, where he but basically, if you haven't seen it, he Paul Robinson did. He took a massive swing at it, <laughs> totally missed it, and um, Yannick Haber ended up putting it in. He also scored a very good goal from the edge of the box. But um, you know, you know, they 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 were terrific. And when you think that they are so coherent. It was interesting hearing, we, we talked about the aforementioned uh, Emre Jan after they um, won 2-0 in the, in, in the Pokal at Hanover Dortmund on, on Wednesday night. And, um, uh, you know, Jan actually said the reason that, that we're sitting here talking about having won this game is because of, we've got Gregor Kobel in goal. I mean, that's pretty damning indictment after you've just gone and won at a second tier team, isn't it? Yeah, although the the... I suppose metaphor that I would use is that a two-footed player is king in the land of, you know, the two left feet. From Saturday, we'll have Champions League game. We want to to play good football, but we know that Bundesliga is getting better. Okay, I did want to talk about coaches. We've mentioned coaches already from an earlier tweet about which of the coaches hiding under the table. Uh, Laurent Blanc, remember him? of, you know, kissing the head of Fabian Barthez once upon a time. He is a coach that seems to be on his way back, at least for Olympic Lyonnais. It's, it's an interesting first game for, for, for him in charge. Almost uh, six and a half years since he last coached in Europe. Um, and uh, he took charge of, of, of Lyon for their game at uh, Rennes at the weekend, which I may or may not have been watching 
on my phone during the Ramble Patreon drinks. Okay. Is a, okay. both a little on brand, both a little bit rude and quite on brand. Yeah. But but you yeah. know you know it was it was an entertaining game, and I think the people who were speaking to me quite enjoyed it. The little bits they saw of <laughs> it as well. But um, yeah, from an attacking perspective, they looked a lot better. Um, from a defensive perspective, not too much. And I think actually before we even talk about Blanc and whether it was the right decision to recruit him. It's it's not incoherent from where Leon have been before because they, they tried to get him in before before um they got in Rudy Garcia. Um there, there might have been more imaginative choices out there. I think there probably were more imaginative choices out there. But I, th- I think you have to look at how this was a really good case in point this game actually about the, the issue that a lot of supporters have with the way the club's been managed in, in, in recent years. Because when Bosch went, a lot of Leon Twitter was full of, okay, if we get rid of uh, Vincent Ponceau and Bruno Cheru, then we'll really be flying. That's uh, the general manager and uh, the head of recruitment. And um, yeah, it, it, it feels as if Leon have been very mismanaged upstairs in in recent years, and I think what really underlines that, of course, Leon defended terribly, and bring a Blanc bringing back Jérôme Boateng when he's not played at all this season, when in the whole time he's been at Leon, he's not been able to last more than 65, 70 minutes, which is a huge issue mm. for a centre back. Never mind the the question of whether he should still be at the club after after his conviction last year. Um, I think it's the fact that the three Ren goal were scored by um, Martin Terrier and Amin Guiri. Mm. Uh, Martin Terrier, who used to play for Leon, of course, and intermittently looked excellent. And uh, Amin Guiri, who was produced by the Youth Academy, who they didn't give a chance, so he left. And then he had the chance to come back in this summer transfer window. And he said, why would I come back? You didn't give me a chance. <laughs> and then here he is scoring against the club that formed him. But that could suit what you said earlier about how there being great distrust in the management side of Lyon as well. And it's clear that things haven't gone quite right for them in the last few years. Isn't that something that could suit Blanc as well? Because as I recall, he is a little bit sort of English in his outlook. Like he's someone who sees himself not just as a head coach, but also someone who wants to be in charge with, with several uh, layer, layer levels at the club. Well, I mean... Maybe. I think there's some sort of vacuum for him to slip into if that was the case. I mean, obviously, he never had the chance to do that at PSG. I think if we're looking at his work at PSG, which has obviously aged a bit now, like we said six years ago, um, they they played really good football. He was successful. Yeah, and he was very successful. It's pretty embarrassing if you're not at PSG, though, to be fair. Well, we're coming to that in a moment. But I think think it's about... It's, it's about manner rather than just results. Mm. And obviously he's not the only one who fell short in, in, in terms of Champions League where he got them to the quarterfinals three times. In, in, in French domestic football, he built a great Bordeaux side that finished Lyon's reign. And then uh, later on, his, his PSG side played terrific football. Interestingly, one of the reasons why Unai Emery had a bit of difficulty, certainly initially in Paris, is... Um, he wanted to play a more reactive sort of game, particularly in the bigger games in in Europe. And um, the players turned around to him and said, we're used to to having the ball loads under Laurent Blanc. (laughs) This is how we play. We need to have possession and we need to make the running. So I think that leans into how attractive Blanc teams can, can be. But I think he's got a few issues. One, he's been out of Europe for a very long time. Two, there are 
people who don't like him with reason, um, given the racism and sexism scandals that he's been embroiled in in, in in the past. And I think a third thing, which is perhaps an underrated thing to deal with, they've got quite a big squad of high-spec players for a team that isn't in mm. Europe. And there are going to be a lot of players. There are already a lot of players who've got the hump after not getting picked at the, the, the weekend. It's difficult to manage. It's a similar problem, actually, to what Julian Nagelsmann is currently trying to marshal at Bayern. I, I think you've explained it really well. Uh, realistically, realistically, and you said earlier on that Leon might have made some more uh, imaginative uh, choices for a new coach. But realistically, you're not getting a new coach to basically win second place in Liga. Essentially, mean, but, but you're that, limited. That would that would be fine. Like that'd be brilliant. They're, they're, they're way behind that at the moment. You right. know that yeah. they've had successive seasons. I don't think they're in this position now. That that they, they, they can't even aspire to this. But they've had seasons where they've had the, the second best squad in the league and yet not finished second. I mm. mean that is that has been their their problem really in in in, in recent years. Is, but is I think that... the thing is, PSG will always have their dips. I think if you compare it to um, Serie A before Juventus fell to bits, uh, the Bundesliga under Bayern, you know there are opportunities. We've had a Lille, we've had our Monaco, we've had our Montpellier. You just have to be well organised enough to receive that opportunity when it comes along. And Lyon haven't been that. So French clubs can expect in any given season to do better than second place. They can expect no, that, even I mean, though PSG is so far ahead. You, 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 you just, can hope you and just be ready. look at the finances. I mean, Lyon uh, and there's a, there's a cluster of teams like Lyon, Monaco and Marseille who are on rough sort of parity in terms of what they spend on wages, they all spend about a third of what PSG spent. Like you're up against the team that can spend three times as much money as you can on salary. That, that's not a competition anymore. Like that, that's something else. And and what you're just hoping is that PSG managed to trip themselves up, which God bless them. They're not a well-run club. So they frequently do Well, they do it often enough that it's been exciting uh, in a few recent season. We should be grateful for that, that they're not more efficient but uh, yeah, it it is a bit of a shame. But Lyon, of course, consistently up there in terms of expenditure, and and they haven't been in the terms of league finishes. I mean, they were eighth last season. I mean, this isn't good enough. And no, no, uh, no. and and I think uh, yet another stain on on the good name of Peter Bosch. <laughs> I'm hungry. Food, glorious food. But we need a football <laughs> match to go with it. I thought it. we were doing an ad read suddenly. What's <laughs> happening now? Just eat, mate. But we need a football match. We do need Other a delivery match. services may be available. I'm not entirely sure what the sponsorship situation Just is. give me the game of the week and then we'll uh, eat later. Well, it's going to be quite food... Uh, well, I mean, I'm going Romanopoli. So, what could be more like? It's the, it's, I feel it's so the, relieved about it's this. It's the pizza derby. Because ah. if, if you didn't go for this, I was going to have to go for it and offend. And you want to go for something else? No, I, I, I don't want to offend Nikki Bandini's colourful oh. sensibilities because she'll be listening. Indeed. And I've, 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 I've been there before. So, 
please. Neapolitan pizza just is better. I'm sorry. Like it's just just get over it. It is what it is. It is the the, the home of North pizza. South divide. It's the folks. home of pizza. I'm not saying the pizza in Rome isn't good. I'm yeah, not saying yeah. that. It's North just, you South know. divide on pizza. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, but and it's a very exciting game because Napoli are unexpectedly real title challengers. You have course, to call them yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, they've been. So much fun to watch uh, all year. Uh, I, I would argue possibly the most fun team to watch in Europe. Uh, Certainly in Italy. Well, you, I, mean, I guess it's City who have been very, very good, but th- there's a baggage that comes with that that you don't really have with, with Napoli, so you can watch them guilt-free and enjoy, <laughs> and enjoy what they do. Uh, whereas, of course, uh, Roma are still there. They're just four points back. You know, they, There's still time for, for a big sort of Mourinho thing here. It's Mourinho versus Spalletti. Interesting uh, duel of managers, so I think this should be terrific. Well, they had that, they had that little bit of bounce on uh, live telly, didn't they? At the, at the end of a game last year, Spalletti was not biting. He was absolutely <laughs> not biting. We'll, we'll stick that up on the on, talking on the of Twitter. not biting. What about the food? I'm having a pizza, obviously. <laughs> just any old <laughs> Come pizza. On. Thin and crispy? No, just a margarita. Just a proper, it's a Neapolitan yeah, pizza. But do you want the chunky one or the thin and crispy one? It's got to be What are you talking about? I know, I know, I know. I know. Good God. I was just talking. I just made sure. Thanks, Dalton. I'm no longer worried about <laughs> offending oh his culinary yeah. sensibilities. She, she, she will be offended by my suggestion. certainly will. There's any other kind of pizza. I quite like a pizza now. So what about you? Are going for lunch Food, glorious food, I'm going to go for Sunday afternoon. So I, I guess it could be a late lunch. You, you're going to need to eat Lars's pizza at half time mm. because uh, 3.15 is uh, Betis versus Atletico. Betis in a really, really good place at the moment. If there's a team in Seville that's going to finish in the top four, it's going to be them. It's not going to be Sevilla despite the return of Sam Pauli. There's a great atmosphere at Heliopolis when they're on it. And I think they are ready to have a proper go at Atletico Madrid who have myriad issues this uh, Sunday afternoon, I think going going to Betis, they'll find it very very difficult indeed, and that, that's all athletic. all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Notwithstanding, Betis are, are just better to watch uh, than Atleti. They've they've got I think they've got focus. They know where they're going. Um, so yeah, look, come on, let's get all the Andalusian tapas available going. Um, let's get ourselves a mini black rice paella going Um, we're not in Valencia so no chicken involved (laughs) Um, I I think I think we're going to go for some bravas with the the, the proper spicy sauces as well Um, some some good I prefer slightly overcooked chorizo actually yeah yeah yeah, that's that's my thing so we're going to get all of that in it's a movable feast yeah but if David Carstage was here he'd say and don't forget the sangria he would Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.